0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. If you're like me, quarantined, locked up. <laughs> Not locked up, but that's what it feels like, right? Um there's it, it so many challenges and, and obstacles. I have received so many messages from people feeling like a burden, uh feeling like they're isolated, to feeling hopeless. Uh, However, if you go to thrivewithleo.com, I can coach you from feeling like a burden to feeling like a blessing, from feeling isolated to feeling connected, from feeling hopeless to feeling hopeful. Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching and we will get through this together. With that said, Let's get into the episode. Jessica.
1: How are you? Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you. Can you hear me?
1: I can. Awesome.
0: You sound surprised.
1: I don't know. I feel like everything's always going to fall apart.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Everything is going to always fall apart. At some point, the earth is going to crumble into little dust pieces and uh, the economy is going to crack. You know, it's just. Yeah. things follow it,
1: it all happens they do but they come together that's it, life right up and down <laughs>
0: you know what somebody I, f- I forget who it was. I want to say it was Zach brittle who I had on a podcast and he and he said that when you think about the stories in a Bible it's full of stories of how things die are resurrected and then come back stronger after and I was like wow yeah I was like wow that's fascinating and uh and so I'm sure these times are you know the economy's dying Things are dying, but uh, I'm hopeful that we're all going to come back stronger uh, after everything's said and done.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we'll definitely come back changed, if nothing else. But even with, like, the virus stuff, which is obviously super scary and horrifying, it's, like, uh, it's all in waves. So, like, it will eventually go. It's just riding it out until then or whatever,
0: you know. How do you find hope, Jessica? Here's your... your you're you're such because I because I ask that because I know you, you struggle with uh, depression and yeah and um but you're very active you're very creative you're very productive very funny very funny comedian oh thank um, you uh, yeah I was excited I remember I forget where I was driving home from I was like I think I think I did a gig like in Brea or something where it's like an hour and a and and a half ride home. And, uh, and then I remembered like you you had just released your album and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, great. I get to listen to this, uh, get me home. So yeah, it was great. I remember like stopping at the gas station and like wanting to get back in the car and finish. So,
1: ah, thanks man. Um, um,
0: but very funny. So yeah. How, 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 yeah. How are you finding like what, what, like let's just rephrase it. What got you out of bed this morning?
1: I mean, as I talk to you, I am currently sitting in a bed, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, only cause I'm staying at my boyfriend's place and there's only so many spaces to sit in. It's this or the couch. So I just alternate. Um, but, uh, I mean, literally my dog, like we both have dogs, but <laughs> so, uh, that's been like a literal, all right, well, if I'm going to be a lump of shit, which I haven't been, but it's like any day I'm like, I'm tired. I don't want to do anything. It's like, okay, well the dog's, gonna shit all over the bed so um but uh, but like mentally figuratively and by the way if you hear any growling in the background anyone who's listening I apologize that is the dogs playing with each other because they have not lost any energy um it's kind of weird because I for some reason like this whole kind of lockdown hit the day I was moving to a new apartment um and I don't know if for me being someone who goes through anxiety and depression anyway is part of it, but like I haven't fully, I feel like there's so many people with what's going on with the virus that are in despair <laughs> and kind of like, this is the end of the world and really having trouble with it. And I, I'm having a hard time pointing to a reason why I'm kind of okay with how things are going uh, other than like, like eventually like I'm going to have to worry about my finances if things stay the way they are. Cause like, you know, as comedians, our money is made in front of crowds, but it's sort of like two or three years ago I did this silent meditation retreat. Um, it was like a 10 day meditation uh, and the type of meditation is called vipassana, and I know I was silent for ten days, which no one believes. But <laughs> no, um, my
0: my uh, one of my ex girlfriends did it for ten days, and we were going to do it together. Then we broke up right before the retreat, and so she went.
1: Like, yeah. <laughs> Rough. Well, just for reference, whatever happens, they do separate the men and the women. So if you had wanted to meditate, <laughs> but you were like, no, I was definitely just doing this <laughs> because, I'm like, oh, I guess she has sex with me, so I guess I'm going to a meditation. <laughs> No, I,
0: I really, I really wanted to go. But and, and I was like, I should still go. But then I, I you know, in my head, I was like, we're just going to end up having makeup sex somewhere up there. Like, we're going to sneak into each other's tents and then like ruin the whole silent meditation. They forever. completely
1: separate. I mean, there' been I mean, unless you planned it ahead of time, they separate the men and the women. So anyone planning to do that by the way, think ahead, have a plan <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise, they like take your phone away. Um, um, but the the gist of the kind of technique they teach you, there's this word, and I don't want to like give give misinformation. I want to say it's Sanskrit, but I think it's probably some other Eastern. Tibetan language um, called Aniche, uh, which translates to impermanence. And I mean, already circling back to what, what we were saying at the beginning of our phone call, but um, it's just this the sort of notion that everything arises to pass away. So in the meditation, they sort of teach you to just be aware of your body, be aware of your breath. And then as things come up, either emotionally just mentally or even like physical, like weird feelings, in your body, maybe you have an itch on your nose or like your legs feel a little cramped because you've been sitting meditating for a while, like to not react and just observe them. So you're like learning that muscle. And um, I think learning that, and I haven't been meditating regularly like I definitely could be, but that was 2017, into 2017. And I, th- I think it truly changed something in me where, learning about that and really having it drilled into my head. Because for 10 days, you're silent. But they play these videos at the end that sort of talk about the meditation and what we might be feeling. And they just really reiterate this, like, everything arises to pass away. It's almost like in my brain of, like, this too shall pass. And I think between that and then in the moments I catch myself kind of being... Spirally, if you know what I mean, like just you know, thinking the worst or feeling depressed. I've had moments even in the last couple of days where I have anxiety, and instead of like you know, a few years ago, I would have just been swooped in by this anxiety and thought, like, this is so bad. What if it never goes back to normal? Blah blah blah. I, I've it's like it's almost a muscle. Sorry if this is so off the walls, but it's like I'm able to catch that I have anxiety, and then instead of identifying with that emotion I'm it's like I'm almost observing it like when I realize it's happening I can go okay well right now I'm feeling anxious and it's just gotta happen but like reminding myself that it's gonna go away and then gratitude has been huge and that's like I hate that I'm like oh that's a thing my mom just would spout off from her 12-step programs my whole like youth gratitude and I was like yeah yeah whatever but the moments of, Oh my God, I I can't do this. I don't have shows. You know, I miss hugging my friends, trying to catch myself and then reframe and think about what I do have that I'm so lucky for that. Like at a time like this, I have a shelter, I have toilet paper, (laughs) you know, it's like, I I think trying to focus on what, what you do have is more important in times like these than ever than going, than worrying about what you don't have or can't do.
0: Yeah. You know what I've, I've been going through my cell phone and calling everyone, mm-hmm. you know, because it's so easy right now to feel alone and like, yes. you're isolated. And then I, I forget, like I have like 20 million people in my cell yes. phone that I've <laughs> never talked to. Or I've talked Absolutely. to you once or haven't you know, um, and I'm just like, all right, uh, today I'll go through the A's tomorrow I' go through the B's and and work my way through and then what happens is by you know at least what I anticipate happening is by the time I get through the Z's, then people more people start calling me and reaching out, and then I have this network of people that um, uh, I've reconnected with, and now. I have uh, now I've, I have have like a deeper and, and richer relationship as a result.
1: Absolutely. I think that uh, when we're on the go or, you know, we're working, we're going everywhere. It's easy to take all, like, all the connections we have for granted. And there's so many people that like, I, I'm always like, I should call them. And I just don't. And it happens on both sides. Like, I'm sure they're fine. You know, I see their Instagram posts. And now slowing down and being able to actually like reach out to people it is like making new connections like solidifying old connections and it's just interesting having these moments of because i'm you know i'm facetiming with people who are down the street and now thinking about why did i never think to do this with my friends who live in alaska or like far away um and it has been cool, the like, connections. I, I do feel a lot more connected to some of my friends just from doing this. And I'm trying to make an extra effort to, even via text, checking in on my friends who are single and live alone. Because I'm like, oh, man. I mean, I'm a lot to deal with, so I'm <laughs> trying to like not drive my boyfriend insane. But I'm just thinking of, like, man, if I was like completely isolated... And what if they're not reaching out because they're like, I don't want to bother anyone. I think it's like a uh, a really important time to just check in on people.
0: Yeah, so much. And, uh, you know, it's interesting you talk about like, you know, you and your boyfriend are in a very tight, confined space. And like the, the last thing mm-hmm. you gonna do is and you're at his place. Right. And so, yes, you're, you're yes. very aware of like, Oof. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be. Yes. I don't want to be a debt like that. <laughs> That has to be a struggle.
1: Well, and it is. And it's one of those things where like, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people think it where if they're in situations like this or like in a situation where somebody has to help you for a certain amount of time, you know, be it, you know, maybe, you know, you have an injury and like, you know, someone's helping you or just having to ask for help for me personally is a struggle in general. But then it's like being in someone's space because... I mean, you know, World Mental Health Day comes around and everyone on Twitter is like, don't be afraid to reach out. You're not a burden. And it's like, I see people do that. And I'm like, bitch, they're, I've, you've, you've ignored my calls. Like, like, shut the fuck up. Because it's hard. It's hard, even if you love somebody, to like put up with all, all like them in your space. You know what I mean? So and I I like worry about being intense and whatever, and he's super sweet, but it's just, we all as humans as just as much as we create, crave and need socialization, we do need that kind of like time to unwind into ourselves. And so it is a challenge um, when you are like in such confined spaces with other people where you can't really go get a break. So it's just a lot of practicing patience. And I think, I mean, what we're doing is just trying to be let's be respectful of what people need and also communicate openly. No, no trying to like tuck in if something bothers you because if you're gonna like fester on it. You know, if something I do or is just like so annoying to him and he doesn't say it, I'm like, yeah, that's fine if I did it once and then I leave and I go to my house and that never happens again. But like, we're together for the next. 10 years at least so (laughs) yeah well well, i'm just saying like in the confined spaces and who i'm honestly who knows with this thing so i think the biggest thing you can do with another person in your space a partner even a roommate whatever is communicate and then remember patience because we're all in this together and you don't want to um you don't want to push away the people who care about you
0: yeah, it's it, it's so true. Uh, you know, it, this is a, a real time to to um, to be mindful, and it's also a time of like, you're like you're not going to get it all right. So you know, if if, you, if there's an explosion or uh, a fight, to to be able to come back and uh, just say I'm sorry and uh, and you know try to work through it. Um, you know. Absolutely.
1: Is yeah, just having the like getting rid of that I don't, if pride or whatever it is that like keeps us from wanting to admit when we're doing something or, you know, when we're at fault, which so the ego plays a big part in like helping us think that we're perfect. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? Where it's like trying to see it in a way that you're like, I didn't do anything upsetting, but I think just being super aware uh, of your space and what you're doing and willing to admit when you've done something is, is going to be way more helpful because like you're stuck in this, you know? So you got to make it as as best as you can. I also think there's something to accepting that there's going to be days or moments where like it does suck and if if you can get to or or at least be trying to get to a place of acceptance with that, like just the whole it sucks like the concept of, you know, this sort of quarantine. Um, And allowing yourself moments to feel like, ah, this sucks and it makes me sad right now. Now is the best time to get in touch with those emotions and not saying like bask in it, but like be okay with those feelings coming up because like they're natural feelings. And I think in society, we're kind of conditioned to deny or try to push away the negative things like sad, anger. And like, uh, I think now when you're not, out in public all the time is a good time to maybe like let those feelings come up and and feel them and go like wow i'm like really sad right now but be okay with it because you're also not going to be sad forever it's a moment that'll pass as well
0: you know that's a really powerful statement that you made in terms of being okay it's almost like that being okay with the not being okay yeah right and yeah uh you're right like there's you go to these yoga studios everything's like gratitude and love and And, like, it's okay if you're also sad because I've seen a lot of people cry in yoga classes. I know. I've
1: been those people.
0: (laughs) And on buses and trains and in Vegas like people <laughs>
1: Vegas. Like, crying in Vegas is just so next level it's like oh I mean like it'll be okay maybe your house might be gone I don't know what happened to you buddy
0: yeah if you're crying <laughs> in Vegas then uh, you, you, yeah you've lost all the things it's, yeah it's, it's, it's catastrophic dark. yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you'll be you'll recover somehow
0: <laughs> hopefully maybe <I> don't. <laughs> <laughs> or,
1: or you know or you won't and then that's fine yeah
0: that's fine too yeah <laughs> 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 you, I mean, yeah, because you know I was following you, and I, now were you touring overseas uh, when this all happened, and then you had to you had to come back, or uh,
1: I had already gotten back. I was in Europe in early January, okay. or no, late January, and then and I toured a couple places here. I went to, got uh, a Denver, and then I went up to Reno, and then I think about the weekend after I did wow. Reno is when this all kind of the States got serious about it. And I'm not sure. I don't feel like anyone's super sure about how long the virus has actually been here. But I was thinking the other, I got really sick in Europe and I was like, did I just have it and it's gone now? And I didn't know that. (laughs) But no,
0: it's. it's, I've I've heard, you know, like the young people, I was talking to a scientist and he was saying how young people have such a high T cell count and, uh, arts two receptors that, I'm getting real, like, real nerdy here. That they're able I to it. have it, have symptoms, or and then fight it off themselves. Whereas, yeah, it's like a,
1: just a bit, kind of rough flu.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. But for for people over sixty-five, uh, it it just wipes them out because their T cell count isn't isn't high enough to fight it. So Man. that that's that's where it's dangerous. Is like the the fear is that it could wipe out the entire yeah. elderly po- population.
1: Yeah. Which is, I mean, I don't know. I could make a lot of jokes about it, but
0: I, 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 well, you know, and and what's hard about, you know, even making jokes about it, uh, is that so many people are affected and financially affected. And, uh, we're we're just, you know, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate that I'm able to do, like I'm, I'm training my clients online. Um, so nice. I still have a source of income, whereas if you were just relying on comedy or you just had one source of <clears> income,
1: <throat> that, yeah. right,
2: then <laughs>
0: you're like, all right, what do I have saved? Can I sell merch? What do I have to do? Start an online comedy club? Like, wh- what are the yeah. options here? Like, you're, 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 you're rummaging, scrunch, scrimmaging, scrounging, rummaging, like, scrounging, yeah, scrounging around.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> scrimmaging. <laughs> it's a game. Um, no. Well, yeah. And I have been like, I mean, I have my podcast and there's like a Patreon. So there's like a tiny bit of income. And then I have a few people who have like been like, well, you know, I have the sketch that I'm still able to shoot. So I would love to pay you to like help me write it or like punch up. But it has been an interesting and I'm okay for now. But I'm like, if this thing lasts a couple months, then it's going to get sticky because it's Like, I have a small savings, but it's very much like a low-tier road comic saving, where it's like, I'm not getting the big bucks. I'm getting the, like, weekends that they had a hole, and they're like, well, we like you, but you don't have TV credits, so we're not sure, but we'll throw you in, because it's open, you know? Like, so, and I'm aware of where I'm at with that, and so it's like, I make decent money when I'm working, but... <laughs> if I'm not working it's not like there's like a you know paid time off or whatever so well,
0: are you how, how what about the streams from your album are, is that generating enough income for you to not
1: um, not enough now it's um, I should I'm actually an interesting thing I'm thinking about doing is because I have a new hour I'm sitting on that I wanted to figure out in the next you know year year and a half shooting. Um, for like a special and trying to either sell or self-release, but, um, they just like understandably slowed down. They still come in, but it's not like livable money and uh, it's been rotated out, uh, on the serious station. It was on just out of like other people releasing albums. So it plays a little bit here and there on that station, but like, but just not as much as it was. So, uh, I'm actually thinking of, I don't know if you do this, but I think a lot of comedians, we record every set. I record every set audio. Um, oh, yeah. And I have listened to almost none of them. It's like I do the work halfway and then I'm like, I'm going to go back and listen to that. And then it piles up. <laughs> so I'm planning to spend a day just chewing on my neuro gum, which helps me focus. And uh, it's just caffeinated gum. But <laughs> uh, going through my audio and then finding things because i'll go on random tangents that end up being funny but they're not really like bits they're just kind of riffs i take off on so i'm thinking about putting together an album from that and then just releasing another album for now and then just uh you know i'm making some content i've gotten a few more patrons since the everything kind of shut down so just trying to stay on top of my own podcast and getting the word out about that. It's called ignorance is blessed. If anyone's interested, um, hashtag blessed. Um, it's intentionally wrong, but, uh, yeah. So it has been interesting. And and just thinking about like, all right, well, what can I do? And then like thinking about all the skills I have in other fields and how maybe I can put some of those into action. Um, so we'll see. It's, uh, yeah, it can be a, a scary time. And I think with, with everyone highlighting, you know, the big focus is, you know, 65 and over, we really have to, you know, keep them inside and not let them socialize. A big thing it's highlighting that I feel like people aren't talking about enough is like the suffering of people over that age because they're still out in the workforce. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many people over 65 that like, they're like, I'm not even close to retiring or that don't aren't in a field where they really feel like they can retire. And it's like, oh, well, I'm just supposed to like hang out inside and then trying to get back in the work field at that age. Once this starts to blow over is going to be hard because unfortunately there's a heavy amount of age discrimination and it's like the, and you know, obviously people are going to step up as much as they can to help their family and help people they love and, or just, you know, help people in general. But that's a huge shift for any family. It's like the head of your household is no longer working or all of a sudden, like you were, you know, your parents who were very independent are going to have to come live with you. Not even, you know, not even necessarily for health reasons, but because like they no longer have an income and it's less safe for them to be out there. And there's just so many things to think about.
0: There there, it, it is. And, uh, and it could be, it could feel overwhelming. And I, and I think that. Uh, one of the reasons why I've, I've been limiting my uh, social media uh, and yes. news intake. Like, I, I'm, I'm purposely, like, just filling up my days with, with things to do and um, and then only going on the news at, like, around 6. Uh, Absolutely. Few, and, and I don't even really look at the news. I just, like, in on my, because I check it on my phone, um, and I go to Google, and Google will tell me, like, if I in a search, it'll it'll pop up like the the ten trending things uh, for the day.
1: Yeah, and the main news stories or whatever. Yeah,
0: and nine times out of ten, none of them are uh, interesting. I go, wow. oh okay, the world's not like all I'm looking to see is like the world is ending. Or, yeah, it's like, like is there
1: some big change yeah. I have to make? Like has it gotten tighter? Right is is there something I need to be like taking like a vitamin or some other shortage that I need to worry about. Yeah, and why it, is that so important?
0: It is because, like, the only thing and the thing that gives me hope is like if I see somewhere in there like something about a Kardashian or like the, <laughs> the royal family, I go, okay, we're good. Like, like if we have room to to talk story. about for that story, then we're all right. We're okay. We're yeah, okay.
1: like yeah, the Kardashians are trending. Like, okay, then it must not be that bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like there's a feud with Taylor Swift. There's a light at the, that's that's our light at the end of a tunnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like well it's true too, because I think, you know, the the internet for all of the goodness it's brought us and like it, for at a time to be like what a great time to have to be quarantined if you had to be quarantined. It's like we're so able to connect. We have access to so many activities, you know, to just at least keep our day going. So we're not just staring at the ceiling, but it's so easy to get inundated with news where it's like, yeah, we used to, someone would pick up the paper in the morning and that's all they did. Or, you know, you'd watch the, like the evening news and that was your whole thing. But with this constant share, it's very easy to get caught in that. And like, that can push your anxiety to spiral. So I've also been, Very diligent. I kind of do it anyways just because I know I get overwhelmed. But I'm on the phone. You know, I'm I'm doing, like, Skypes and stuff for podcasts. But as far as, like, social media, I'm on way less because it's like, yeah, I I know it's bad. I don't need to have that, like, constantly repeated in a feed at me (laughs) When, when there's nothing else I can do. You know, it's like if there's a step I can take, please let me know. But, like, just going, like, it's still pretty bad is, like, I my brain will be crazy enough without that
0: oh yeah uh and and, and like my girl's like she tries to send me like articles I'm like listen I don't I don't have the bandwidth for anything <laughs> that's going on outside the house like
1: that's a great phrase
0: yeah I'm like how are you I'm like are you good or are, are am I good are we good are the dishes done is there anything you need me to do around the house all right then I everything's good then I, I can't I can't take more
1: yeah it's like I well and, that, and that's such I think that's been A big help for me as well is like, let me just focus on what's in front of me, like what I can do. Let me, you know, organize this. Let me, you know, work on this creative project. Let me put one foot in front of the other and not worry about the big picture. Like, because it'll make you mad and sad. And when there's really nothing you can do, you're just sending yourself, you're like signing up for emotional strife.
0: Let me ask you this because, you know, you, you, uh, I've, one thing I've been impressed with your career is like, uh, you're, you're, to me, is a, a you're a global comedian. You're like a Liz Mealy, you know. Oh, it's man, like I
1: where, love Liz. Where you, <laughs> thank yeah, you. Yeah,
0: you're both just, you know, you're overseas and, and conquering it and killing it. And what well, can you, what was your, uh, because it, it's very easy because for a comic to say, I'm going to stay here in America and try to, and just try to do it here and make it here. What was your mentality for going global or did you just like have an agent that took you over there or, or what was, oh, what was no. your mentality for, your, for your career? Like what were you, what <laughs>
1: well, was my, my first like stepping stone was just um, in 2013. Um, I I had this tape that I'd gotten. I did my first festival at the end of 2012. It was Ventura Harbor comedy festival, Not far away down in Ventura. Um, And I got a really good tape from that. And uh, I'd just been like getting into festivals left and right that year, just submitting on my own. And um, around like September, October of 20 of that year, uh, there was this festival in Montreux, Switzerland that. Uh, announced that there had been a French comedy festival for like 23 years. It's a big deal over there. Um, And they're like, we are going to try English comedy. We're taking submissions. So I submitted. Um, And they took five people and they took me. And so I got... First of all, it fucked me up on like festivals because they flew me over there. They put me up in a nice hotel and they paid me. And I was like, oh, we're all being fucked in America. (laughs) But uh, I don't know. It was just my first taste of like i did a show over there and um i felt i like bombed in the room 100 i bombed it was like a small room <laughs> like where they just did like they had these huge theater shows but for the american shows or the english speaking it was just a smaller room because it was new and whatever so you know maybe 100 people i bombed for the room but there was a table of african comedians in the corner because they had a showcase of all these African comedians. It's so funny. They very much broke it up like, American comedian show, African comedy. (laughs) It's just like, what's happening? Just, you know, very, just put everything in a box. But they were dying. And a couple years later, this festival branched out, and they decided that they were going to do a festival in Johannesburg, South Africa. And... And that and they hit me up and they're like, you have to come over here. Like, we shared tapes of yours. Like people like pass around like links of your sets. Like, you've gotta come over here. You would do so well here. So between those two things, like I, I went over to Africa, I had a great time, I had great sets, and then I I did a one woman show at Edinburgh Friend, which was completely different than my stand-up in 2018. But there had been this guy in Switzerland who unrelated to the festival had found my album he was just a big comedy fan he found my album like on a spotify list he was just you know listening to random comedians come up he contacted me and was like you're so funny are you ever coming to switzerland and at the time he was just a fan of comedy and he's like i'd love i would love to see you i think people would love you over here here he was sending me names of guys who like do shows it was very nice and um And that was like not long after my album came out. And then in 2018, which was when I was going to go to Edinburgh, he hit me up and he's like, I don't know if you remember me, but I reached out to you years ago. He's like, I've actually started comedy and I run a a show in a theater now and I would love to get you out here. So I decided to do that theater show right after Edinburgh. I was like, well, let's just tack it on. I'll already be on that side of the globe. And from once I decided to do that show, I was like, I should just figure out other places to do shows so I started like hitting up comedians I know who did international stuff I asked Ari Shafir who I knew he had done international stuff he was like the the host of the he was like the face of that original festival I did in 2013 in Switzerland and um so I was like he knows and then just any comedian I knew who was doing traveling over there you know I'm like you've done it do you know anyone and people were so you know so nice and gave me contact so it was kind of how i like how i started in the states i just strung stuff together and um it was like decent money and there were a couple of shows where i was like i'm just doing this show to see the city like i am not making enough money that on its own this show would be justified but i sprinkled them in there cuz they it was like en route to another another city where i was going to do a show so it was you know a it was work, but also a little bit like, let's see some stuff along the way. And, um, that's still how I do my touring. Like, it's very funny because people will ask me about advice on, you know, like touring and stuff. And they're like, I'd love to pick your brain. And I start telling them about the amount of work that goes into not only doing your own, like touring, like the booking, but then also I do my own press. I'm I'm my publicist, you know? So, like, getting coverage, like, trying to get on, like, morning news or radio or getting, like, a feature story in a local paper to tell people about the show. It's Those are two separate full-time jobs. And so it's... Because people will ask me as if I have some sort of, like, secret code. And there have been... Rarely has any comedian I've sat down and talked with, like, jumped on doing it. They're like, wow, that is a lot of work. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm... But it, it doesn't bother me, though, because I'm... It's, I'm probably a workaholic and I'm sure it's a problem, but <laughs> I find being productive to be almost meditative for me. Like having something to do keeps me calm.
0: It's same thing for me. It's like uh, the podcast. everything that I do is like, just so I can stay cool and keep my mind. Like the other night I woke up in it with a panic attack of like, what if somebody breaks in the house? What if chaos breaks out? Like I just ran through all these oh, no. crazy scenarios and like, I was on the internet for two, three hours just researching stuff about like how to
1: stop a break in, yeah, <laughs>
0: how to stop a break, you know, literally how to stop a break. I woke my girlfriend up. I was like, listen, this is what we're going to do. Here's our plan. And
2: i was <laughs> like, fire like plan yeah, I got like,
0: like $3,000 worth of stuff in my Amazon <laughs> basket of like, to, like from ladders to fire hoses, like all, all the things. To uh, prevent fires, break-ins, earthquake, like, food, first aid, all the things. And, uh, but then when I, (laughs) I, then I woke up the next morning, I was like, what was that about? You know, like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're like, why did I suddenly have this outburst of, like, (laughs) just hyper vigilance (laughs) in the middle of the night?
0: Yeah, Amazon trucks just keep dropping stuff off. You know, it just looks really suspicious.
1: Yeah, like, I don't Uh, know what he's plotting, but the government should keep an eye on him. (laughs)
0: but yeah being productive is is so meta and and not just not busy i like that you didn't use the word busy because yeah well because
1: it's go ahead it's not just doing it to do it yeah it's like i am focusing on a thing that is leading to a goal whether that's you know booking a show or uh getting getting airtime on a morning radio or you know working on my own jokes and it is like but, you know, in the moment, sending an email for booking, you need to be present while you're sending that email. And I think it's its own form of, you know, with with basic meditation, people go, like, focus on your breath. Or, like, some people be like, you know, when you're feeling overwhelmed, focus, like, on your feet on the ground, just, like, really feeling them hit the earth as you walk. And it's just a thing to kind of zone in on where my attention's now locked into whatever my project is. So I'm not going to, like, go off on those mental, you know... Oh, what if an elephant runs through my door and wrecks my home <laughs> and just spirals of
0: Oh of my chaos. God, you just gave me a new thing to worry about now. <laughs> 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 I'm like, oh sh- there are elephants out there? Oh no.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, what if what if the zoo breaks loose? We don't know. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, so your, 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 your struggle with depression and, 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 uh, you're managing it. What, what was, can, what was your bottom? What did that bottom look like for you? And then how oh, did you God. pull yourself out of that?
1: Um, God, that's really hard. Cause I think, I think I spent a lot of time spiraling, not aware that I was like on a downward spiral. Um, but what happened in, um, it's so weird to think that I, I once attempted suicide and I st- still don't know if that was my bottom. <laughs> um, that was like 2012. I'd had like a very rough year before that I was in an abusive relationship and just got out of it and was living alone. Um, and for me, like if you would have told me what being suicidal I mean, people did talk about like being suicidal, and like what I would have assumed it would look like versus how I experienced it. It was two different things. Like I always thought that being suicidal was this very depressed. There's no reason to live. I, I can't get out of bed. I'm so sad. But my my feelings were more of like a manic. Uh, it was like a an inability to shut my brain off and it was driving me like legitimately insane, clearly. Um, it was just that I I wasn't able to like catch, you know, like a thought and go, this is just a thought it's going to pass. It was like, whatever my emotion was, it, I almost like identified with how I felt. It became like who I was and just like, I'm so sad and this is never going to go away. Or like, but I just felt out of control mentally, like that my thoughts were like rapid fire. Cause I have a very rapid firing brain in general. I have, uh, I have ADHD, but it's like, my brain will go all over the place, which has been helpful with comedy and creative stuff. It helps me like get to tags and punchlines and just random like riffs. But, uh, it was this moment of like, I wasn't able to stop the like firing of thoughts and they would just like jump from this to that. And it was like, I had no control over my own brain. Um, and I, uh, attempted suicide, which I'm sure there's plenty of dark jokes already made and to be made about the embarrassment of failing to kill oneself. But um I, I think I still went through the next few years like having these moments of like just being on the edge and like not understanding how to like stop those feelings of being overwhelmed. And um and maybe at that point I did lean into my work in a less healthy way, like a just got to keep busy like too much to do to like focus on I like I would I, I would work to the point of like exhaustion where it was just like stay so busy that like I don't have time to think when I fall asleep it's like I'm coming home you know I'd like I had a day job so it's like I'd work eight hours go do mics I'd be writing and then I'd like stay out at comedy clubs, stay out at the comedy store till like 2 a.m just talking to people but it was just to like have something to like distract my brain from going off the rails and just come home and like face plant pass out and it took a few years of like up and down and and you know there were chunks where I was like actively working on myself and trying to figure out what's going on because I've just I guess I've always been someone who for better or worse instead of like running from things when I know that there's an issue I'm just like I lean into it I'm like let's see what this is why is my brain like this. Um, and I think I was kind of on this like up and down path of having moments of feeling healthy. And then, um, I would go through like relationships where they would become codependent. And that was my own like addiction and an issue. And then I got out of one in 2016 and I think I was like really actively just working on like for the first time, understanding like self care and cause I I've always been like, uh, I'm the child of an alcoholic, so I, it's pretty classic case of just, like, codependent, people-pleaser, just worry about everyone else and what's going to upset them, and how can I act to prevent other people from feeling bad type of thing. Um, and I had never really done the, like, well, what do I want? How do I feel? Like, checking in with myself. And I think I was starting to get better about that. And I, I wasn't where I needed to be to get in a relationship, but then I had a like a moment with someone where I'm like, I guess this this feels magical. In in retrospect, we were both high on edibles, but <laughs> um, so I got into another relationship, and it sort of just like set me back to repeating these patterns. And then when we broke up, it was this like camel breaking the or straw breaking the camel's back kind of situation where the breakup itself, we like both felt coming and it it was meant to end uh like it was a relationship where it's like we should have just been good friends and like it never should have been a relationship but he pulled the trigger on that and it just was this tiny little thing that sort of triggered all of my trauma that I had buried from like years before um, so this is like middle of 2017 where like he broke up with me and on paper, that's fine. But it was also just this, like it triggered this memory of, cause I was abandoned by my dad. So like, it's so weird to be like a boyfriend triggered my dad, but I guess there's a reason they say girls have daddy issues, but like just this, this whole dumping of wondering if I'm always too much or if like, if it's just always going to be a thing where people leave me and I, I'll never find someone who wants to stay. And like, um, for about a month or two, I was in this like extremely low, low where it was like, it, it was, um, one of the few times up to that point that I'd ever like felt what I think people are talking about when they describe heartbreak where like, and, and it was not just because of, the like, a breakup. It was just because it had triggered all these, like, kind of memories of, like, my dad literally left me, and I kind of just swept it under the rug. And I was like, that's what dads do sometimes. But that psychologically affects kids, you know what I mean? And as a kid, you don't know how to process that trauma. So it's just like, all right, into the vault for you. But <laughs> um, I, like it was like a crushing pain. And I was mad because it was a pain I had only remembered feeling when I had, uh, multiple friends I had in high school, I had a lot of friends pass away, which is a very dark and weird thing. But like, I had, uh, multiple friends pass away in one day from a very horrific incident. And like, that was the only time I could remember feeling like chest pain, like actual heart breaking. And I was like, resentful that, I was re-experiencing that pain because I was like, this does not deserve this level of of pain from me. But like I couldn't eat. I was like not going out. And I went through a period where like I, I lost a lot of weight. And of course, being like a sick fucking woman in LA, I'm like, at least I'm losing weight. <laughs> but um I just spent a lot of time in my thoughts, like circling around why I felt like that or why, why those things happen. And, um, it ended up pushing me on to kind of like a corny, just very like eat, pray, lovey. That's when I signed up for that meditation. (laughs) Like I took a trip to Hawaii. (laughs) Like I started guitar lessons and quit, but it was just this sort of pin drop, uh, of a situation that should have just been like, all right, that's a bummer, but it—it just—it it was like it released this tidal wave of all these memories and traumas I'd kind of just like forgotten, or my brain had done me the favor of like tucking away, and—and uh, and that was rough.
0: What? Why Hawaii?
1: I c- literally because there was a sale. on tickets i was like i've never been to hawaii and i went with a platonic male friend who had just gone through a breakup and i was like dude there's like cheap tickets to hawaii you want to go and we did we just like went and drank from pineapples and like winded karaoke at a gay bar and like but by the but we had booked a trip so far out like because this was maybe end of october or early November and we ended up going in late January. They were both kinda of like, Yeah, we're like fine now.
2: <laughs>
1: but oh well, we're going to Hawaii. So it was just like a that was sort of a, you know, a reactionary thing where it's like had I been in a better place financially, I think I would have booked a trip somewhere anywhere, like immediately. Um, but it was just sort of I think feeding that idea of wanting to just get away like what and and you can't get away from like trauma and stuff that is happening because of like your mind and your past and and your emotions but I think that's a very human thing to do and people do do it I mean they downright like up and reroute and move but like there's this thought of oh if I just get a change of scenery I can clear my head it won't be I won't be driving everywhere and having memories of every place I've been so I don't know. It was sort of like uh, I felt like what I didn't know what to do, so I was like, I guess I'll just do a thing that people seem to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, you, we can't escape. You know, I think there's that quote that says, "No matter where you go, there you are."
1: Oh uh, yes, right.
0: You can't escape yourself, and you can't escape the the triggers, and 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 at some point, and, and I think that's part of what meditation is. Trying to teach you is that if you sit with it, um, at some point the 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 cloud of whatever that pain and trauma is will pass through. Now it might come back, and, it, and, and chances are it will come back if it's yeah. But but at least you know when when people say the pain is temporary, uh, they don't mean that you know that you'll feel pain and then it'll eventually go away and not come back. They just mean ever yeah. It's not <laughs> always going to be painful. Uh, all the time it's just that uh it could come in waves and so
1: yes uh, when i do think oh sorry no go ahead well i also do think that like once you accept that and get better at like sitting with your pain it does become like you know various traumas the wave, so to speak, becomes smaller. So it's like a thing that used to feel like drowning. Next time it comes, it's like a slightly smaller hit, and it doesn't stay as long. There's like a quote in this country song, which is like so awful, but uh, it's Dierks Bentley, where they, they, they just say, it's uh, I still go crazy, I just don't stay there as long. And it's just this idea that like the more you become aware of your emotions, you become okay, and you start to understand that they pass. Because, and all those things sound crazy to someone who hasn't really figured that out or hasn't experienced, like, the acknowledgement of emotions passing. Like, if you're someone who still gets swept up in them, uh, it's, it's hard to even conceive of that. But the more you remember that and the more you are able to observe that happening, I think the longer the gaps of not having those overwhelming emotions get.
0: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, throughout this journey of guitar practice, I mean, I'm taking guitar (laughs) lessons right now. So I'm like, am I trying to escape something? Is there something I'm not dealing with? Um, Look, I have,
1: I grabbed (laughs) like three things when I was coming over to my boyfriend's and one of them was a band I do not know how to play. So I'm right there with you.
0: (laughs) You're like, you know, now's the time to learn. Um, Yeah.
1: Which I haven't picked it up, by the way. I'm like, there's too much to do. <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> you know, I, so I, I take uh, guitar practice once a week. I'm like, once a week I do an online. And that's the only way I'm really going to practice that thing. Nice. Um, but it just gives me something to look forward to throughout the week that, like you said, is not work. Yeah, it's like uh, something new. It's an activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like cross-training, you know? You have to... Yes. You got to... To me, it's not so much about learning guitars as as much as it is about practicing or playing with the guitar.
1: Absolutely. And like taking that time away from your other stuff that is, even if you enjoy it, it is work. And it's that's kind of what I need to do is like set an appointment. That's what I have to do for anything is like put in my calendar that like, okay, this is guitar time.
0: Oh, yeah. And I have to. And, but things like guitar, like I, I have to I have to have somebody teaching me that or else. Yeah. I'm going to completely delete that. <laughs> That'll Absolutely. It's like oh. I
1: need someone else I'm accountable to that I have yes. to show up for them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So throughout this journey of uh, guitar practice, going to Hawaii, 10 day. First of all, can we let's backtrack to this 10 day meditation retreat uh yes. what was that cycle like in terms of emotionally i would imagine first couple of days are rough then there's a few days of clarity and then it gets rough again and then clarity uh you know like what uh, take us through for, how they taught you how to meditate cuz i meditate every morning and people are like how you look so calm for 20 minutes how did they teach you how to actually sit there and meditate
1: i mean it was like I mean, I think a lot of the the structure of the, and what helped me, and it's one of those things where like, God bless people who can just like stop and do things, but like they have you on a schedule there. So it's like they walk through and they ring a bell and you wake up and you walk to this big empty temple where everyone sits on their chair and you have a designated place. But it's like, yeah, the, I think the whole first day was me just trying to figure out if I was meditating or not. Like my brain the whole time was like, am I meditating? Like, so it wasn't really quiet. You know, it was just like, I don't know. Oh, my back hurts. Like, it was just like a ton of thoughts. And then I think by day two or three, I started feeling like a little more calm. And then, but it was like, you, you I would just have moments of like, it went from the thoughts of, am I observing, observing my breath or am I breathing? Like, am I controlling my breath to like weird random thoughts pop in your head or like memories from childhood. And I think on like day four, I was starting to feel a little intense, but it was less like from the meditation and more just like, like antsiness about being silent and kind of just like, you know, wondering like what the hell I'm doing or like, it's so hard to be quiet because I am someone who just, wants to connect with people and when they're around me and um I think day five and six sort of really felt like overwhelming emotion and by seven I was like I'm not I'm gonna break it, and, but at that, that point it was like I was having like all these realizations come up like that I hadn't realized that what had happened with my breakup was like triggering of all this. It was just an overwhelming emotion. And now it was like thought by thought is coming up of like, I'm remembering these feelings and like acknowledging like the things that like I can't control. And that it's like having these moments of like, this is not my fault. This is my fault. Like, because it's like for every, for every feeling of, you know, that, you know, that the the psychologists talk about, like, your inner child and that you can go back and, like, the idea of, like, hugging your inner child or, like, viewing your inner child and seeing like, that, you know, you didn't deserve this or whatever corny shit. There were just as many moments of me realizing, like, my part in situations, like, as an adult where, like, like, I have, like, been ugly. Like, your ego starts to shed just from the silence where you go, like, oh, well, here's some things that I didn't do or, like, Faults that maybe have been clouded from your own mind that you don't realize that you're you're doing. And by seven, it's like it just day seven. It felt like all of this was coming up, and I can't explain the specific thing of what happened, other than I think having all those thoughts come up and like just letting them come up sort of released the like weight of the tension of having for years, just stuffed it down and like not acknowledged any pain. But by the, so they did the meditations in like two and a half hour chunks. And by the second chunk of day eight, I just had this, I didn't realize till they like ring the bell for the meditation to be over. But that was the first time I was like, oh, I was just there observing my breath. It was like this clear, it was almost like a high. It's very bizarre. And I, it's, I know there's a million people rolling their eyes at this. Cause it's like when, when marathon runners are like, you just get a runner's high. I'm like, Oh, you get high from running. Fuck you. Like do drugs, man up. But, <laughs> um, but it was just this like calm. And it's the same thing that like, I think anyone, cause I'm a person now who like, if I need to cry, you know, I don't just like, if, if, if I can avoid it, I don't burst into tears in public. But like, if I'm at home and it's like, I'm overwhelmed with emotions, be it something specific or sometimes, I mean, you know, it's just like hormonal and you're like, I don't know, I need to cry. I fully give myself permission. I'm like, I'm going to feel this. So whatever I feel like I'm going to do, I'm going to let it out. And at the end of crying, I'm always a thousand percent more calm. And it's like, I see things more clearly. So I just really think there is something to being in a place where if all you're doing is sitting and you have room to let your emotions come up, because it's like, I wasn't doing work. So there is no like distraction from them. There's no stuffing them down. Cause I am on the run or cause I'm just like, there's that cultural condition of like, don't be sad, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it's like, yeah, you're just sitting there in silence and you can feel whatever you're going to feel. And having that come up releases this like extra strain that's been in, in and onto your body and your mind for however long. Uh, so by day eight, it was just this like calm feeling. And I was at that point happy to be there. It actually made it, ha- it made it hard to, uh, a lot of people quit before they make it there. Like, cause understandably it's very overwhelming, but it was a weird adjustment coming back to society and like having my phone and like all of a sudden I'm getting texted and I'm getting, it's like, you're inundated. But, uh, I think just having a space where your body and mind have permission to like allow things come up to come up helps you kind of clear out the gunk so to speak
0: yeah and you don't have to go to uh hawaii or you know i went to thailand uh for yeah that. you know just about <laughs> you know yeah you could be in your bathroom closet basement living room anywhere uh even in your car you know it's just like you said, it's a, a place for your your body and mind to. i think that's why people go to a bar after work uh, Because that's the socially acceptable place to go find yourself. But really, you're just going (laughs) to find uh, debt and...
1: uh, and You're just trying to drown it with booze. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, and, and that's the thing too, is even socialization right now, it's like, it's so healthy. I definitely think it's like in the hierarchy of like needs for what humans need is to be social with one another. But I think... And I'm saying this from like first person perspective. I think we can even use that unintentionally as an avoidance of all this stuff. You know, you like fill up your social calendar with parties and meetings and dinners and lunches. And it's like, yeah, if you don't have time to let this stuff come up, it can't come up. But in my opinion, it will come out in one form or another, whether that's, you know, and not, not taking away from the fact that anxiety and depression can happen sporadically because of chemical imbalances. But I think there's, a lot of a lot of people don't realize uh, that it's a symptom of something else. So it's like you keeping this stuff in and never having time or allowing yourself to acknowledge it. It builds up, it'll come out emotionally and like mental health issues or even like physically. Like I think a lot of my autoimmune issues probably stem from years of just like burying shit down. And your body's only going to take it for so long before all of a sudden you're having ulcers or migraines or emotional, you know, like a crazy amount of anxiety and we just go, what is this from? And a lot of times I think it is like burying, whether it's intentional or just a byproduct of society, like emotions.
0: Yeah. You know, that's why I find such relief in, uh, in journaling. It's a, it's a space for, uh, all the things to surface themselves. Um, yes. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a safe place to, to let it go. If you can't, or you know Just why people dance or or even work out. I, I think that's going to be the challenge for people who uh, released and found their solace in their meditation and uh, you know group workout, Soul Cycle. You group know, workouts, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, why are yes. like, people paying a hundred dollars a class to ride on a bike? Uh, indoors? Yeah, that's got to be like, like your yeah
1: your zone. If you're re- willing to pay for that, it's because it's changing you. Yeah. It's like helping.
0: Jessica, thank you for being on the episode. Plug all your things. Where can people find you?
1: Thank you for having me. Um, you guys can find me anywhere on social media at JMS Comedy. Uh, I have two podcasts. One is called Ignorance is Hashtag Blessed. It's the interview style podcast. We have people from all walks of life. I ask ignorant questions so that we can all learn our stupid questions that we're too embarrassed to ask. And I co-host another podcast called Name That Pod with Nicole Amy Schreiber. And it's just a shoot in the shit comedy podcast. So please come check us out.
0: I love it, and uh, I ask this of all my guests: uh, is that you know, I always feel like because it's a suicide prevention podcast, I always feel like there's one person listening in who's on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person, Jessica?
1: Um, give it, give it, give it ten minutes. <laughs> you just breathe. Is that like this too shall pass? Is um is what I would say is that like whatever you're feeling right now, that feels overwhelming. It's literally sometimes you give it like a couple minutes and the feeling passes away. So like hang tight, no pun intended. Um, But just breathe.
0: Give it 10 minutes and just breathe. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling someone, calling a therapist, calling a friend, call an enemy. Ye- yell yell you know now now everybody's home not yes. not bang on their window doors yell or oh, don't yell uh, i don't i don't know send them a letter write letters <laughs> something but but get help reach out apps they're online therapist reach out don't just don't touch anybody you can reach don't touch um <laughs>
1: emotionally reach.
0: emotionally out. reach out <laughs> and uh thank you for rating it five stars and, and sharing it i love all the comments that are on itunes keep post in the comments. I appreciate those. And uh and then if you need one-on-one coaching, go to thrivewithleo.com because uh you know, I've been there and it's the reason why I started this podcast is that those feelings of being a burden and and feeling lonely and anxious uh and overwhelmed uh you know, I I can definitely relate to and and still struggle with uh sometimes on a daily basis and uh like she said, it doesn't, it never goes away. It comes and goes. And, uh, Mm -hmm. hopefully we we're we're more aware of it, uh, as it, as it comes so that we can, uh, we can step back and, uh, and, and, and handle it, uh, in a, in a healthier way. So thank you for tuning in and we will talk to you soon. Peace. uh, One of them. And, you know, and, and, and I'm listening to like how independent your family is and, can, is there are there other ways that people can kind of find their own uh, identity within a relationship? Because a lot of people do, I think, get into a relationship with the idea that the other person will shape and mold them or that the relationship will save them and, and give them a, a purpose. Are, are there some other ways that people can take time to figure out who they are?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of... Uh self-help work i think personal therapy is really really important i think just um i think th- there's there's got to be something where people are allowed just to be different um so one of the things that rebecca and i that makes it work for rebecca and i is we we just are we just kind of stopped trying to change the other try to make them more like us um which is cost it's it's it costs something like it's a little bit of a bummer but it it means that we still get to um sort of be okay in her own skin because I'm not trying to always conform to the skin that, that she wants me to wear there. Um, and, and then with that permission, oh actually, you know what? the the year that was really challenging for us, number eight was really painful, but number nine was really great. and then that was a year that we both kind of super committed to therapy and not everybody can afford therapy, but it was the year that things began to really shift for us in the sense that like taking time to get to know, ourselves and our needs and learning to ask for what we wanted was really um was really a valuable skill to learn so are there other things people can do i think i think sure uh but for me they would kind of all fall into the category of put your oxygen mask on first right figure out what is what kind of air you need to be breathing in order to bring your best self to somebody else because um and man that could be a that could be an online mastermind group. That can be a regular happy hour with your friends. That could be, um, you know, personal therapy. It could be, you know, your, your running club. There, there's no shortage of resources out there. Again, like you said, um, this idea of live entertainment is going to blow up. I think right now people are getting extremely creative about ways to take care of one another and themselves. And um, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's right under your nose if you're if you're willing to look for it.
0: It's true, you know. During this time, I uh, and part of me feels a little guilty because, you know, we do have that that idea that I should be, I, I wake up and I should be attentive uh, to my partner. But uh, you know, I've I've been getting up and and working out and then meditating first thing in the morning. Um, yeah, meditation is great too. I mean, I, so I can't believe it. Yeah, I yeah. I, I mean, I, I do you meditate? I I I. I, I, the times, the amount of time I meditate changes from day to day. Right now I'm doing 20. Uh, but even if you just do five, just taking a little bit of time for yourself, but w- what's your meditation?
2: Yeah, I, um, I'm, uh, I go through phases. I'm not quite as regular as maybe I would like to be or that I could be, but, um, I, um, and I don't currently have a meditation practice, but it's, it's certainly on my list, you know? Um, and I, but I've gone through different, um, I don't want to call it eras, but different phases of my life, I've I've just I've, it's either been something I've done, uh, or more, more often than not, if you know what I mean. But yeah, I, I found it valuable.
0: What, um, now, so you said you you are Gottman certified, and, and so can you talk to us about what that uh, entails? Uh, what you know, what what what's the what what are the tenets of uh, Gottman therapy?
2: Yeah, so John, so John Gottman is kind of the world's kind of leading um, marriage research researcher, or like related. He spent about forty years um, studying couples, couples over a ton of different settings and a ton of different kinds of ways. And one of, one of the things that he was able to do was sort of correlate behavior that was consistent among couples that were divorcing and behaviors that were consistent among couples that were staying together. And then he kind of got famous for coining this phrase um, that he he became uh, famous for being able to predict divorce. So the media latched onto that and all of a sudden it was off and running. And because of that attention, he and his wife, Julie, created a methodology for training therapists to help couples quite simply avoid the things that uh, predict divorce and lean into the behaviors that predict, you know, relationship success. And so for me, I started training in that methodology and, you know, just like anything else, you go through sort of different levels. So level one, two, three, and then, um, you can choose to certify or not, which is when you have to demonstrate mastery, um, uh, through like, uh, clinical hours basically. and so I'm a certified gottman therapist. I think there's about 380 that have been certified over the course of the Institute's existence. Um, I'm number 199 that was my goal. I wanted to be in the first 200 so I was hustling really hard there at the end. Um, but um, but yeah, basically when when people want to <clears throat> get couples therapy and when when they are drawn to a scientific methodology, The Gottman method is really easy to, um, to sit people down and say, Hey, if you want your relationship to change, you got to stop doing this stuff. You got to start doing this stuff. And ideally what we're trying to do is figure out like, what are, what are they? So we'll like assess a couple and the assessment tells us like what they're already doing well, that maybe we don't have to work on. Right. Like, um, and what they're, already where their are areas of trouble are that, um, maybe aren't as important as those two areas over there. And then you just sort of surgically go in and help them, um, figure out how to make some of those changes. Um, a lot of Gottman therapists are, are very, very scientific and surgical in their, in their way that they use the method. I tend to be a little more open-handed. Um, I tend to play more, a little bit more detective than scientist, but, um, but it's, it's really helpful. And it's been really helpful for Rebecca and I, because, uh, at, a, at a minimum, it can give a couple um, – like a shared language. Remember how I said it's really important for couples to have some sense of what they both want. And if they both want to protect the relationship from some of these toxic behaviors, then that, that having a shared vocabulary um, like like the Gottman Method can make that easier for them to, to navigate.
0: Um, you know, uh, uh, and that, that makes complete sense when, um, I'm backtracking a little bit, the, in terms of, uh, because you've been, you've been counseling married couples for over 12 years and I'm sure infidelity has come up a lot Mm -hmm. in relationships. Is it, does it, is the, the reason for infidelity different for the man and the woman generally, or is it the same for most marriages? And then how do people overcome that?
2: Yeah, um, I would say that there are lots of different what I would call profiles of infidelity, um, and the because sometimes your infidelity is you know you hooked up with a prostitute on the, on a business trip to Las Vegas, and sometimes it's you fell in love with the stay at home dad at your school that you always saw at pick up and drop off, and you've had been having a illicit affair for three years, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, there's everything in between. What it what it always is is betrayal. Um and betrayal I'm sorry. I didn't say anything. Oh, say sorry. Um what it always is is betrayal. And um and that's really the issue, right? Like it doesn't almost even matter how it started or what happened or how it ended, it matters whether or not the couple can um find a sense of um sort of attunement and attachment. Uh, reattachment after the betrayal has occurred. And sometimes, frankly, the betrayal isn't, isn't infidelity. It could be financial betrayal. It could be, you know, um, it could be, it could be uh, you're an alcoholic or a workaholic. Those betrayals are, are similar. And we, um, we basically are trying to, f- when, when a couple comes in and they're and betrayal is the presenting issue, we're trying to f- figure out whether or not there's enough equity in the, in the relationship account to, Sort of reinvest, and that means that the that the harmed partner needs a certain kind of attention, and the, and even the involved partner needs a certain kind of attention um, in order to figure out whether or not a, attachment is possible again. Um, and it it's really hard because it comes you know it comes in different forms, and um, uh, and it really just depends on kind of the capacity for um, trust building that the. Uh, that the, that the harmed partner has.
0: Um, Uh, Zach, can I, can I, can I, uh, cut you off for a second?
2: You know, I'm just realizing,
0: uh, that there's a difference between infidelity and betrayal. Um, can, can you, I mean, and not that I I didn't know that, but I would have never have, uh, made that distinction. It was just something I just never thought about. Can you break down the difference between infidelity and betrayal? because I think betrayal is something that is not in most people's vocabulary. It's either cheating or infidelity, but yeah, but well, the, and betrayal
2: the, is, yeah, just betrayal's just the umbrella, right? It's just the big umbrella. Um, you had an expectation on a, a reasonable expectation for how the relationship was going to work. And then somebody betrayed that expectation, betrayed you in that expectation. And sometimes they did it by cheating. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they do it by, you know, hooking up with a prostitute in Las Vegas or, you know, falling in love with the stay at home dad. And sometimes they do it by stashing away money for 10 years that you never do about. And sometimes they do it by, um, you know, um, decide staying at work longer than they, than they have to, cause they don't really want to be at home with you anymore. Um, and, but see infidelity itself is so bizarre in the sense of like, if I'm flirting with my, you know, college girlfriend on Facebook for a year, um, but I never, I didn't see her cause she lived in 10 States away and then, and we never had sex or anything like that's still betrayal. You know, if it's a secret, um, and sometimes the, you know what I mean? Like, so I think this is the hard part is people, people want it to be really clean. Um, and it's just, it's just not because there's tons of ways that you can be unfaithful. Um, and I think this is something that I think is it, fun for me to think about, which is, I, I hear people say all the time, particularly people who are in premarital therapy. Although one thing I won't do is, um, I won't tolerate cheating. Like I won't tolerate cheating. And I'm like, okay, all right. But, but you will, because uh, it's pretty, I mean, sometimes people just throw all the, the laundry out the window, but if they come into my office, it's because they want to learn how to tolerate this thing that they said that they wouldn't tolerate. Um, and the, what I like to remind people of is that we literature, religion, nature is full of stories about things that are stronger after they died and, and been resurrected than 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 things that are just like they are what they are and they stay that way and they're the strongest they're ever going to be. I mean, I think when couples choose to recover from betrayal, um, and they do it like in a in a sincere and sort of empathetic and compassionate way, um, the relationship that they end up with can often be quite a bit stronger than the relationship that they that they started, you know? Um realistically people stand up on the altar and they say things that they don't even know that they're saying like for better and for worse and in sickness and in health and return and poor. And we have no idea what it means to be sick. We have no idea what coronavirus is. We have no idea what bankruptcy is. We have no idea what, what's better and what's worse yet. We haven't experienced it, but when somebody, and then they say, I do, right. They say, I do, I'll do that stuff. And then somebody executes a betrayal or an infidelity. And that's essentially a saying, I don't, right? I used, to, I said I did, but now I don't. When two people can turn it back toward each other and say to themselves and to each other again, I do this time I do. And I actually know what I'm saying I do too. That can be really, really powerful and redemptive. And I, I think, um, that's where I don't really get all that stressed out or this is the wrong way to say it, but like infidelity doesn't impress me anymore. Affairs don't, I used to be like, oh, you know, cause it's like, oh, what? But, um, <laughs> but no, it's of course, of course we don't know what we're doing, you know. And and if you think about this, this is the thing that also blows my mind. If you think about all of the sex that you've ever consumed or seen in the media or in, you know, in the in the world, whether it's pornography or whether it's a you know, a, in the checkout line at the grocery store, a, a book cover or something, almost none of that is between a man a woman who are married to each other. Uh, almost a hundred percent of the of the sex that's portrayed in the media is between two people who aren't married to each other. Wow, I never thought of uh, that. Sort of cultural ingraining. Yeah, there's something. I mean, we've been enculturated that sexy sex is sex between people who aren't married to each other, and so of course we're going to be like floating around in this sort of sexually ambiguous world. Um, And the prostitute's going to seem really enticing. And so is that cute dad who loves his kids so well at pick up and drop off. But, you know, he's probably he's probably a jerk, too, you know, but not to you. He won't be a jerk to you because, you know, you're you are each other's respite. from the hard work of a relationship, frankly.
0: Wow. I never thought about that that is
2: I mean, insane you're absolutely think, right think just see if you can think of one example of of a television show or of a movie or of a i mean certainly not in pornography any example of two people i mean there's Phil and Claire Dunphy right like we we walked in on their bedroom one time if you remember um, <laughs> but that's that's really that's really it as far as i can think of
0: oh my god that's hilarious Um, but you know I I love what you talk about uh you know now that you you brought up betrayal um because I I I had a friend of mine his wife cheated and he called me to ask what he should do and I I said you know listen man like I I saw this coming years ago I'm surprised it's just not happening because uh he, he he works a lot he's all he's never home and then when he is home he's He's, uh, you know, he's the guy, he pays the bills and, and takes care of the things, but emotionally not there. And I think that a lot of people, uh, there's so much weight on uh, sexual infidelity, but like emotional withdrawal is so big. Usually one person shuts down or just isn't available. And and that never yeah. really gets, uh, that that never really gets the, I don't want to say the respect it deserves, but to me that is usually a precursor for the infidelity um, 100% and
2: yeah. that's why you have to you have to talk about it like as betrayal because mm. most people are good people they don't they don't walk through their life looking for ways to hurt their spouse they don't walk through their life looking for ways to betray them and when they do something has come first something has come first Something has come before that, like like your buddy's sort of workaholism, um, and his wife may have experienced that as betrayal, and that that was the point in time when they needed the intervention, not the point where she, um, you know, got caught or whatever it is. That's that's what's well down the road usually, isn't it? Absolutely, like you said, yeah. You've, you've seen it coming.
0: Yeah, because I'm like, there's just no way that, uh, you know, when you when you get married, it's because you want to be with that person, want to spend time with that person. And then inevitably, you know what happens. But and I understand in this day and age, it's like you have to work two or three jobs and have all these different hustles just to keep the lights on and to raise your family and make sure they go to a good school and to be able to afford the vacations. But uh, we can't stay on that treadmill for so long that uh we forget to to get off and reconnect and revisit and and repair uh as you said earlier
2: yeah no you're not wrong i think there's a there's a there's a slippery slope that we need to be paying attention to well before we think we're even on it
0: um having two kids and uh you said at you said the, the 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 trouble in your marriage happened at the eight year mark, and then you said the eighteen year mark. Yeah, about eight and eighteen. Yeah, uh, is that? Do you find that that's par for course? Because you know people talk about the seven year itch. Uh, I'm sure there's a standard deviation of a year or two uh, in there. Uh, do you find that that's like a, a a relationship pattern?
2: I do. I mean, and it's not me that's found it. I mean, here's here's a piece of. Quirky trivia or not quirky trivia, quirky um, data, which is this idea that fifty percent of couples get divorced is actually um, it's actually wrong. It's actually a lot lower than that. Um, but um, the piece of it that is interesting is that most couples who divorce divorce inside of seven years, um, and usually around year four, and that's often when there's a toddler. Um, so the the seven year itch piece is this um, is this piece of like, what is the, the journey you know, and do, does the, does the introduction of a child, um, cause you to turn away from one another? Um, and it often does because children needed a lot of attention, but the antidote is really to make sure that in, in those first few years, particularly in, in, in the times of rapid change and stress that you lean back into each other. Um, and that you you pr- continue to prioritize the friendship. And frankly, that's that's pretty much what happened to us. Like we had a, a toddler and both of us were kind of sliding into our own little world um, and ultimately kind of lost sight of each other, which which was at least that story of year eight. We, just, we actually – and it probably would have happened sooner, but we struggled to get pregnant. So um, we just didn't have our baby inside of that first four years.
0: You know a buddy of mine. He he's married, and his parents have been married and happily married. I, I've been around them at, at least seemingly happily married for like forty, fifty years. Um, and he said that you know, for as the husband, your job is to prioritize the wife, and then the wife prioritizes prioritizes the kid. And he's like, if you keep that circle cycle going, you'll be all right. But and 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 I think that a lot of times, like both parents try to make the kid the priority and then they forget about each other yeah um you know yeah and and it's tough zach uh is there anything that that we haven't talked about that is there stuff that you you're hearing out there experiencing uh seeing reading uh, about relationships and marriage and, and family that you just like oh my god if most people just did this or said this or or whatever. Uh, Yeah. I
2: mean, I mean, if most people went uh, to Amazon and bought my book, it (laughs) would just solve everything. Um, No, I mean, there's, I mean, it's always, um, it's always changing, right? Everybody's always trying to figure out how to crack crack the code. And um, to me, I'm just kind of a slow and steady wins the race guy. Like you got to have the foundational things in place and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, um, and then, you know, go from there. Um, and speaking of, uh, I promised my kids a walk this afternoon. And so I got to go put one foot in front of the other with the, uh, with those guys. I love it. Uh, Zach, go ahead and plug all your things. Oh, let's see. Um. So the easiest way to stay in touch with my voice is through MarriageTherapyRadio.com. That's our weekly podcast with my teaching partner, Laura. We talk about these things constantly. Um, the book is Marriage Therapy Journal, which is at MarriageTherapyJournal.com. And it's also on Amazon. And if you're interested in kind of uh, kind of learning more, going through a deeper dive, we're going to be rolling out some um, – some, uh, what do you call it? Um, a sort of a membership kind of site. The other thing I would say is, if you, if it's appealing to you at all, to be mindful of these folks in kind of the domestic violence situation. We have a um, a course for couples that's at it's at forbetter.com or forbetter.us for f o r b e t t e r dot and the code I think is twenty. No, the code is covid c o v i d um, and so that'll give you like $200 off the course and we're funneling that money toward um, like the YWCA and the National Defense, Domestic Violence Hotline. So all of those things are are great. And um, and of course, you can email me. I'm Zach at ZachBiddle.com and I'm happy to interact with you, um, particularly as you're just trying to make your way through this quarantine time. So
0: Zach, I appreciate it. Uh, I always ask this of my guests at the very end. Uh, yeah. and and you're not on the hook for this uh as a professional we we understand everybody's uh, situation is different um but i always feel like there's one person listening in who is on the precipice of of ending their life uh before you kill yourself what would you say to that person
2: i would say what would i say i would say don't um you know, again, slow and steady wins the race, and there's it's, a, it's there's somebody on that road that wants to reach out and be supportive to you, and that is, um, I think, if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, you're going to find them. They're going to show up for you.
0: I love that, Zach. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. Thank you for rating it five stars and sharing it. Sharing is caring. And if you need one-on-one coaching. Go to thrivewithleo.com, thrivewithleo.com. We will talk to you soon. Peace.